Warning. This podcast may contain spoilers for whatever TV show or movie is mentioned. Please listen at your own discretion. Welcome to viewers and audience. Yo, what's going on? I am Scoots Bronson. And I am S. Foster. That's right. And you tuned in to another episode of the Viewers Anonymous podcast, where we give you our very own takes and reviews of movies and TV straight out of Hollywood. What's going on with you, my guy? Man, I can't call it. Uh, just, just another day on this earth, man. So your boy surviving, trying to thrive in this podcast game that we uh <laughs> That we put ourselves in, but uh, but I'm all good though, man. How you feeling? Everything good with you? Uh, man, everything is great, man. Uh, besides being super fucking tired, you know what I'm saying, and you know everything like that. But outside of that, I'm great. I'm uh excited about this uh Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? That's that's about to happen, and um, I'm gonna win some money either way it goes. So that's what I'm really excited about. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Go ahead and tell the truth. I'm geek, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm finally going to win me some money for one of these games, bro. I mean, I'm not. I ain't even going to lie. I, went, I, I was planning <laughs> on not watching it. I'm not even kidding. But my youngest son, he keep talking about it and talking about it. So it's just like, man, let me go ahead and yeah. let, me put, let me put my fanboy down and, uh, right. you know, watch the game with the little homie, man, because he's been looking forward to it. So so I'm going to go ahead and watch it, man. You know what I'm saying? I got some wings. You know what I'm saying? Getting ready to uh you know what I'm saying get those things together. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're just gonna try to try to make it somewhat of an event, you know what I'm saying? It's just gonna be me and the two little homies, but but really one, because my oldest son, he don't give a fuck about this game. <laughs> like, he don't care about no sports at all. So it's just gonna be me and the little one. So but yeah, so I mean I ain't looking forward to it, but I'm ready to get it over with so we can see who's gonna be the champ. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of going through the same thing. My oldest son, he's super into it right now because, you know what I'm saying, my mom got the betting book. So, you know what I'm saying, between me and her, you know, we betting. That's really all he care about. He just knows somebody getting some money. So he trying to be cool with whoever winning. The so. <laughs> Smart man. You know what I'm saying? So, so he can get what he need to get. So I'm like, I, I peeped, I peeped it a couple of days ago. I seen what he was doing. I ain't mad. I ain't knock his hustle, but I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm getting hip to you, player. I'm like, you don't never watch no goddamn football, man. Like this, no basketball like this. But he was into it. He cheering on the same team. My mom cheering on. I said, oh yeah, he trying to get his cut. So you know what I'm saying? He he out here uh, hustling this man. But uh, that's what's up. <laughs> but um man listen let's go ahead and get into our favorite segment man we ain't did this in a uh a episode because you know what i'm saying for those who don't know we do it every other episode so we ain't did this in the episode but it's time to get into it man it's called what we watching let's go let's go Oh man, that fossil water is horrible. Um, yeah. So, uh, what you got this week, brother? Man, 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 I got two this week, man. Um, I got a, a TV show and I got a movie. Um, I'm gonna start with a TV show. So, um, you know, thanks to you, you've been trying to get me on at least the platform for I know about a year and a half. You know, what I'm saying my mm-hmm. Apple TV Plus. I haven't been a huge Apple TV Plus person. 
You know what I'm saying? Like when I first got it, the first thing I watched was uh physical. So I watched like the, first, like the two seasons of that. Yeah, and uh hilarious. so <clears throat> I did start two episodes of Severance. You've been telling me about that, but mm-hmm. the show that I am hooked on right now is uh, a show called Blackbird. And mm-hmm. so this is a show where there's a guy who's a uh a, a cop son. The cop is actually played by Ray Liotta. I think this this yeah, this was the last thing that he did before he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, RIP to Ray Liotta. But um so he's the son of a cop kid, but he went the other route. He went to sell drugs and things like that. He got caught up, got got pinched into it, got squeezed into a, a um a plea agreement where he thought that he could get like five years, but he ended up getting 10. So um, after serving seven months, the, the the FBI ended up coming to him and proposing this, this thing to where if he would, so there's a serial ki- uh, killer guy who was acute, well, not accused, but assumed to have killed 14 girls. But they only had proof of either one or two. And what they wanted him to do, because he was a persuasive guy, they wanted him to transfer prisons and get like they gave him the file of the serial killer guy, gave him his file so he could learn everything about him so he could befriend the guy and try to get him to confess of what well, also killing the girls and where they can find the bodies because they want to be able to have the bodies so they could charge him with all of these crimes. So I'm only uh, three to four episodes in, and the show seemed really fire right now, man. I like what I'm seeing. So uh, shout out to Apple TV Plus and the show Blackbird. And the other thing that I watched, um, it is a movie that my youngest son, he has been so excited to see. We finally watched it last night. Um, But that show, not show, but that movie is Megan. And let me tell you something. Megan has completely, it's not even really a comparison, but mm-hmm. if we're talking dolls, she completely blown Chucky out of the water. She's blown Annabelle out of the water. Like, this shit was good. The only thing I didn't like was, like, this one boss guy, like, the way that he talked and, like, this accent that he used, it was terrible. Yeah. But it had but it had your girl in it. Um, I think her name, Allison Williams, the girl that played uh, the girl from Get Out. Yeah. Yeah, so she's like the main character in this. And basically what happens is um, so it's actually her niece, but it shows the car accident of her niece with her parents that got hit by a, a snowplow truck. And so she had to take custody of her. And where she worked at, she worked at a place where she built toys. And so it was basically this toy company that makes toys for kids and blah, 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 blah. So she wanted to create this doll which is Megan. And in the process of that, she ended up getting custody of her niece because her sister died and her husband. So now she got custody of her. Mm-hmm. And so she gets the, um, so she sees that she can't do both, like raise this child and be this career woman that she was. So when her niece said something about like having like a friend or whatever, I, I forget how she said, but so she ends up creating this, this dog, which she was already working on anyway. But now it's like, she's like really like putting all her energy into completing this dog. And she kind of rushed it. And this dog, man, let me tell you, like 
anytime you put computer chips or some shit like that, like the way that she did with his dog, like the dog became so smart and it became so attached to this little girl. So obviously, if you've seen the trailers, she ended up killing motherfuckers for this girl. And it was it was really, really good. And the one thing that I do like, there's two things that's great about this movie. One thing is that they put the whole, because there was a therapist in there that would come in and talk to the little girl because, you know, she lost her parents. And then she's also trying to see is her aunt the best, you know, home situation for her. And so she had a conversation with the aunt when she was just like, when she seen her in the way she interacted with the dog, she used the whole psychological thing of like, you know, anytime somebody loses parents like that, they look for something to latch on to. And you created this doll, like, even though the doll is great, but, you know, she's not going to know, you know, about human contact with another person and really going out and get friends because she always wants to be with the doll. Right. So I like how they put, like, the mental health and thing in there because that was the truth. She got so attached to that doll, like, man, she started going crazy. Yeah. And, um, but the other thing, this might be one of the dopest things I've seen in the movie. And it's like, you only know if you know, right? So mm -hmm. this is when the dog went complete rogue, right? After it just started, just really killing everybody, right? So she goes to the house um, after all this shit go on. And you, like, the aunt start hearing a piano playing. You're not going to believe what this dog was playing on the piano. <laughs> Yo, she started playing Eminem's Toy Soldier song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's weird. That, no, dude, that is fire. I was talking about, because if you know the hook of the song of Toy Soldiers, mm -hmm. it, she's a toy. Yeah. It's, dude, hey, I was like, when I heard it, Dude, I had the biggest smile on my face because I got it. Like, it's kind of like an inside thing of like, if you know the song Toy Soldiers, and she's playing Toy Soldiers on the piano, that shit was just fire to me. I'm sorry. I, I, I know maybe I'm the only person in the country that got excited about that shit, but that shit was good. But yeah, man, Megan, Megan was really good, man. I fucked with it. I think they did a really, really good job with it. They should have just got rid of the boss, his accent. Because I mean, even though he was an Asian dude, his accent was terrible. Like every yeah. time he talked, I was just like, "Come on!" But other than that, man, it was a really good movie, man. My son enjoyed it. We sat there and watched the whole thing. Um, but yeah, man. So uh, the two that I got this week is uh, Blackbird, which is on Apple Plus, and Megan. Still got to kind of rent it or buy it. But uh, so yeah, those are my what we watching. That's what's up, man. Um, so for me, I I got a pretty simple one, man. I went back and um, uh, just you know scrolled through some old movies just to check something out, and I figured I'd get nostalgic real quick. But the one that I found, man, um, and rewatched is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, even though that it's produced and directed by Mel Gibson, um, it is a fire movie at the end of the day, but it's Apocalypto. Um, man, you talking about a, a good movie to sit through. I know that a lot of people, you know what I'm saying, may not like it because it got the subtitles and stuff, but fuck all that. You know what I'm saying? The subtitles make it even better because it's it's pretty much about this, um, about this dude. I think his name is Jack. It's something Jaguar. I forgot what his name is, but they, they he, um, he's, they call him Jaguar 
and then um pretty much he ends up losing his um ends up losing his family and his tribe to uh, a whole another tribe they come through and then they just start murdering people within the tribe um and he pretty much saves his wife and his son his pregnant wife and his son by putting them in the hole and he tells them you know what i'm saying just wait and he'll come back and it's pretty much over a span of like two to three days or whatever where they chasing him they hunting him down and he pretty much giving these motherfuckers the business and so um he ends up killing off the hunters and then he ends up coming back with you know what i'm saying his um his girl and his son saves them they end up walking through um they end up walking through the field only to find that uh the the conquistadors is coming which i thought was a, a horrible fucking ending as i got older and realized what was going on that was a horrible fucking feeling uh, i mean ending to see that shit uh, he just went through all that bullshit only to realize that it's fucking Christopher Columbus and them on their way to bring disease and famine and shit. So, uh, yeah, that's what I ended up watching, man. Apocalypto, great movie. Um, amazing movie, I'm sorry. But if you get a chance, definitely check that out. It's it's on a bunch of different streaming sites. I got it on DVD, so that's how I ended up watching it. Oh, that's what's up. For I sure, never man. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Have, never, have never you seen Crouch Tiger, Hidden Dragon? No. <laughs> Get the no fuck out of here, man. What are we doing? <laughs> how do, how do we... <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing, bro? Are you serious? Hey, wait a minute. Is that the one with um with Jet Li? No, man. No. Nah, then I ain't seen it. Crash and Tiger Hidden Dragon got Chow Young Fat in it, and they got what's the one? Oh, I forgot the. Name oh, that's my dude. Name. I like yeah, him. I forgot. I like him. I forgot the uh, the lady's name, but she was in. Um, she's been in a, a couple movies lately that recently came out not too long ago. Um, I forgot her name though, but she's in it too. And um, basically, it's all about the Green Dynasty sword. I like Chow Young Fat. He was in the corruptor. That's my shit. <laughs> I said all that but, shit. <laughs> you talking about Chow Young Fat Listen, man. Watch watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and watch Apocalypto if you get a chance, man. Um, I can't believe you never seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. No, that shit was that's my shit. I watch that whenever. I love that movie. I'm gonna be honest with you, mm -hmm. man. Like when it comes to kung fu movies, like that's that's not big in my arsenal. You know what I'm saying like, like, especially with the you know, what I'm saying with the Asian descent people, like, don't get me wrong, like, I've seen you know, Jet Li movies, uh, yeah, you know, some Jackie Chan, you know, Jean Claude Van Damme, you know what I mean, like, you know, like the, yeah. the typical mainstream, shit, but like, like a lot of that, shit, like, uh, like when Wizard did, uh, that's the movie that I was thinking of, but that's Man Iron, Fist. Iron Fist, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I'm trying to think, like if no, nah, not not really, not really, but yeah, like that's not that's not huge in my arsenal, you know what hey, I'm saying? So some, that Cratchit oh, oh, Dragon changed all of that shit up. The they fight scenes, the the way that they did shit, like how you see everybody now, like they're jumping and they look like they floating and shit. 
Mm-hmm. Like when they, you could, you know, they on the on the um on the wire and shit. But like when they jump, it look like they floating or it look like they flying or they running on buildings and jumping up the shit like that. Crouching Tiger introduced all that shit into the into the game. So so they modernized uh, so Quentin Tarantino stole that for um Kill Bill. Probably, okay. I think I think Kill Bill. Yeah, because I don't know what came out. Kill Bill came out first. But like, if you see, if you see, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and then you go back and watch Kill Bill, it's not the same at all. Some of the moves are, but it's none of that shit is the same. Like the way that they fight on Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is exclusive to like kung fu style movies. And like, I know Kill Bill is kind of like that. It's more so action to me than it is kung fu because like they actually do different fighting styles. Like, this one is, like, strictly kung fu. Like, when you see this shit, nigga, you'll be like, oh, I see what you're talking about now. Like, it's specifically, like, you know what I'm saying, of the Asian martial arts. No different type of uh, fighting style. Gotcha, gotcha. But also, man, shout out to Bruce Lee, man. End of the Dragon. That's my joint, too. End of the Dragon and Last For sure. Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly is the man. You come straight out of a comic book. Uh... <laughs> Jim Kelly was the black dude, man. Yeah, the black dude with the afro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know you're talking he about light skin. Crazy Mr. Hands, man. Yeah, that's my dude, man. He said you come straight out of a comic book. Um, but speaking of movies like Into the Dragon and you know what I'm saying, um Jim Kelly, if all that, uh, we our feature presentation pretty much is um based around some of the stuff that he's done some of the stuff that guys like Jim Brown has done um Ron O'Neill Fred Fred uh, Williamson Fred yeah Fred Williamson um oh man um Max Julian uh Pam Greer uh oh what is dude's name that played Huggy Bear man um uh, Antonio uh, Fargus. Antonio Far, yeah, Antonio Fargus. Um, everybody that pretty much was in a black exploitation film had something to do with a black exploitation film. Uh, this is pretty much about how black exploitation and black actors and black Hollywood pretty much saved Hollywood in general, and so, um just to, you know what I'm saying, just to let you guys know, this is a documentary that is on Netflix. Um, it is written, directed, and narrated by Elvis Mitchell. Uh, it came out in 2002. Um, it's starring Samuel no, Jackson. 2022. Yeah, 2022. I'm sorry, I said 2002. Um, I've seen all the twos that messed me up. Uh, <laughs> Sam Jackson, Harry Belafonte, Billy D. Williams, Whoopi Goldberg, Glenn Turman, Larry Fishburne, uh, just to name a few who are in it. Um, and it's like, like we, uh, like I said before, it's pretty much just about how, um, black exploitation films and black Hollywood pretty much saved Hollywood from becoming, um, null and void watching this man. What was your thoughts? Well, it was, it was very interesting and very informative. Like it's so informative that like, there's no way that we can do it justice. Um, on this podcast today, especially with, you right. know what I'm saying, of how we do on time. But, like, it's very informative of, like, showing people, like, the resilience, like, of, of what we are. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like some of these names, like I'm not going to remember all of these names, but just to see and hear of these people who were the first to, you know, like they spoke of the first person to, he directed, wrote, starred, everything in his first film, you know what I'm saying? Back in the 1900s, this black guy and, you know, and because they wouldn't take it in Hollywood, he had to do like these own little private screenings and only, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like one one place, one watch only type thing. And like to hear of like some of these people and, and, and the things that they had to overcome, you know what I'm saying? Like with being in certain parts where, where you're making a mockery of your people and like seeing to come from that to the black exploitation era to where they really just saved Hollywood. And mm-hmm. like this wasn't this wasn't in this, but when we did Melvin Van Peebles, yeah, and like that took me into this whole thing. Um I went into this whole wormhole where um where I found the interview of I know this dude ain't black, but I found the interview of Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. And what no what it was, it was it was Melvin Van Peebles and Martin Scorsese and, and um Brian De Palma. And okay. Brian De Palma and Martin Scorsese was talking about like, yo, like if it wasn't for that era, he was just saying that there was films that, that they wanted to do, but Hollywood wouldn't fund them because they didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. And he was like, if it wasn't for the black rotation films and like the films that they was doing, it was like like stuff that we couldn't get green lighted in the 70s to end up getting green lighted in the 80s because of what they did. Yeah. So I thought that that was that was cool to to let people know, like, yeah, like these films may not like when you go back and you look at them and like also you got to also consider the time. But with the small resources that they had, like even today, we have this conversation all the time. Like I've been bringing this up a lot lately when it comes. And the reason why is because the the Grammys and the Oscars wasn't too long ago. So, you know, it makes me keep bringing up people like which he wasn't spoken about in this. But like it makes me think about people like F. Gary Gray and, you know what I mean, the Hughes brothers and (laughs) you know, Ernest Dickerson and, you know, Ryan Coogler is the new guy. Like, it makes me think of them because it's like, yo, like, they're not getting the budgets of, like, these other people and what they're getting. And what they're showing you is they're showing you that they can make the best material at the least. And that's what the black exploitation films are. Like, a lot of this shit wasn't shot as great as it could have been shot. But they did so well that it, they murdered it so well to where like these films they stand the test of time, mm-hmm. and that's something that I took away from this because that wasn't my era. Like you are way more educated on it than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I've seen the the newer version of Foxy Brown. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't see the older version. I seen the Quentin Tarantino ones. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like so. Like, so when it comes to coffee and, you know, I, like, I didn't know the significance of Pam Greer as much. You know what I'm saying? Like, I used to hear all of this stuff about Pam Greer, yeah. but I wasn't into it too much. And, like, I remember seeing Superfly, not, maybe not the whole thing when I was younger, mm-hmm. but 
you know, I watched it a couple of years ago because you, man, you was talking about it, and I ended up watching it. But yeah, it's it's very educational, man. And you just see the talent, man. The yeah. talent is is so crazy because these people had to do everything, and they took all of the risks, and they barely got the reward for it. So that's my. I know that's long winded, but that's my initial take of watching this. I'm gonna throw it back at you, man. What what was your take on it? Uh okay, so for anybody who knows me and you know what I'm saying, you already know how I felt about this documentary. Um I love this documentary. And um so much so that I got nostalgic watching this documentary. Um I told the story about how, you know, uh, with Growing up in my family, like, my grandmother was always around. So, like, she was either always, like, watching me or um, or she was just at the house kicking it or, you know what I'm saying, um, or I was over at her house kicking it or whatever the case may be. Um, and with her, she was, like, my gateway to, you know, the, the 60s and the 70s and, you know what I'm saying, like, the early 80s um, and some of the 50s. So, like, with her, I would be, you know what I'm saying, privy to all the music and all the movies and all this different stuff like that. And I remember, you know what I'm saying, like I said, I could go back as far as being eight, nine years old and watching the Mac. I can go back as far as nine, ten years old and watching Superfly. I remember when I was eight years old specifically um, watching Coffee and seeing Pam Grier's titties, you know what I'm saying, like, I remember, <laughs> like, I can I can definitely remember those moments. Um, I knew who Pam Greer was at a very young age when nobody my age knew who the fuck Pam Greer was. Um, you know what I'm saying? I knew about Jim Kelly, and I knew about, you know, um, Fred Williamson. Um, I knew about what Jim Brown had done. I knew about Jim Brown being an actor before I knew about him being a football player. Um I also knew about, you know, um, man, um, Saft and uh, you speaking of, you know what I'm saying, like Pam Greer when she was, you know what I'm saying, when she was in Black Mama, White Mama, when she was in Coffee, and when she was in, um, you know what I'm saying, like Foxy Brown came later. Um, I remember watching Cleopatra, uh, I mean, Foxy Cleopatra, I remember watching... Uh, I mean, like Foxy Cleopatra, Cleopatra Jones. Foxy Cleopatra is Beyonce off the movie. Um, but I remember watching, like, Cleopatra Jones. I remember watching, you know what I'm saying, a whole bunch of movies, like old school black exploitation movies. Um, one of my favorites being The Black Gestapo, starring Rod Perry and Charles Robinson. Um, and for people who don't know Charles Robinson, if that name sounds familiar, um, he was in Night Court. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's played a bunch of various different roles. Um, throughout the years, but he was one of the members of the in the movie Black Gestapo, and you know what I'm saying. Like, I remember having a DVD set of like ten different DVDs with three hundred. Um, like each DVD had damn near thirty movies on it, with almost three hundred black exploitation films on it. Um, and watching that, you know, a lot of people would think like, "Oh man, he bullshitting. That's not real. Whatever." Nah, I I literally used to sit back and watch black exploitation films. Like I remember watching Jim Kelly in movies. I remember watching Sidney Portier do westerns, black exploitation westerns. Um, he wasn't the only one. 
You know what I'm saying? When you watch uh, a movie like um, Blazing Saddles, Blazing Saddles is not technically black exploitation, but it takes parts of black exploitation and it uses that as, you know what I'm saying, like the catalyst to make the film. Um, but so that's just just a real quick background on me with black exploitation films. That's one of my favorite areas in Hollywood. Um this documentary to me showed how great Black Hollywood has always been. Um, from the fact of not just saving Hollywood and, and helping Hollywood continue to make movies and, you know what I'm saying, make films and, and for these production companies to become what they have become now. But um, speaking more so to what, to what you said about how you know, Scorsese was saying, like, without what they did in this era, we wouldn't be able to make the movies of the 80s and the 90s and stuff that they did at, at that time. But not just being able to write those films and make and direct those films and actually film them, but the shots that they would that they used in those films, you know what I'm saying? The, the way that they would set up scenes in these films, they took a lot of those tactics and, and maneuvers and skills from black exploitation films. Um, later on in the documentary, it even showed us like side by sides of some of our favorite yeah. movies. You know what I'm saying? How, you know what I'm saying? Saturday Night Fever stole some shit from stole, you know, uh, Shaft. Yeah, from Shaft. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, so it's, it's just amazing to see that the things that we did, like, you know, now it's a, it's a parody. Like if you go back and watch black dynamite, you know what I'm saying? Salute to Michael John white who wrote, directed and produced that film as well. Um, and starred in it as well, but being able to, you know what I'm saying? Like bring the parody to it to where, you know, like if you watch movies like Dolomite or, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Or or the first shaft or, if you watch um, P.D. Green, you know what I'm saying, like, and you see the the boom mic kind of hanging down in the midst of everything, or you know what I'm saying, they they spent up they up all night editing, so you you might see a dude punch somebody. Next thing you know, it'll cut to dude falling back, but it ain't the same dude as somebody else, and then it cut back to the same dude they got punched. You know what I'm saying, laying on the ground like just being able to go through the things that they went through and do the things that they did with, with what little that they had, you know what I'm saying? They weren't allowed to do so much, but the fact that they were able to do so much with, you know what I'm saying? Nothing damn near goes to show you just how great black Hollywood has always been. And to see that, you know what I'm saying? The fact that you see the movies that we deem classics and that we call our favorites to see that they took, you know what I'm saying? How to do a certain shot from this movie, or you know what I'm saying? The the scene, the 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 homage that they pay with stealing scenes from these movies and redoing them. You know what I'm saying? And and replaying them over, like even in you know what I'm saying one of my favorite movies, Shutter Island. I didn't know that that was homage to you know what I'm saying a black exploitation film when they sitting in there they dancing when he having a dream of his wife. Like I had no idea that was, you know what I'm saying? Even the song in the in the film is paying mm -hmm. homage to, you know what I'm saying, that particular scene. So it's it's just it's a beautiful thing to know that even though um you know we don't get the we don't get a chance to hear about it as much as we probably should. And it would be super dope for these act I mean for these directors and producers and stuff to come out and actually say something about that. 
even though they haven't for so long, but the fact that, you know what I'm saying, we have this documentary that actually shows and they, you know what I'm saying, you see these guys and they're talking about it, but they're also showing you side by sides, you know what I'm saying, of what's going on is super dope because now it's like, damn, this whole time, you know what I'm saying, we've been, you know what I'm saying, everything that this motherfucking place didn't want us to be and we were still doing it. Even when we weren't on film, we were still on film and I think that's just super dope. So if you don't, if you don't mind me asking, right? So I got a question for you. So yeah, for me, I live, you know, so with my grandmother as well. Like I told you, when I went to stay with my dad, you know, so my grandmother mm-hmm. lived there. So my grandmother died when she was ninety three. So my grandma okay. was in her seventies growing up, seventies yeah. and eighties. How old was your grandma like growing up? Man, my grandma was in her like maybe. 50s, 40s, 50s as I was growing up. I think, see, she, I think my grandma died in her 70s. See, that's what I was thinking. And see, mm-hmm. I think, and then like my grandma, like she was very, you know what I'm saying, a very religious person. But I also think that um, they used to speak about like, they were like, Grams used to be wild, you know what I'm saying, back in the day. You know what I'm mm-hmm. I think they were talking about like, as far as like, I think she used to be like a drinker. And I yeah. think like she had a turn. So I, I say that to say I think that there was an age thing, and I think that it's also like, like because my family, I don't remember really watching black exploitation films growing up. Like I remember like my dad like fucking with the shaft and like Mac and like shit like that. But yeah. like it probably was an age where I was just like, okay, like I'm really not, and I probably seen it, but it just mm-hmm. didn't really, you know, what I'm saying stick in my head. But um, but yeah, you brought up a lot of great points, man. Um, and another well, thing that that. Real quick though, like so, okay. just to just to give like a quick explanation, because like I know like exactly what you're saying is what a lot of people go through. So like for me, right, like my grandmother, my grandmother was the oldest of nine children, and so with her, the youngest of the nine children was like my mom's big sister, because my mm-hmm. grandmother pretty much like helped my great grandmother raise everybody, and so with my aunt being kind of like. So I think my grandma is maybe like 10, 12 years older than my aunt. And so Mm -hmm. like my aunt used to literally like be kicking it with my mom all the time. So much so that her daughter and son are like my big brother and big sister. We only two. Well, her son, I'm four years apart from him. Her daughter, I'm two years apart from her. So that just kind of lets you know, like how close we all are in age. Right. And so even being around them, like even being around them, I was always around my aunts and my uncles, my grandmother's brothers and sisters. It wasn't like, well, I guess my great aunts and uncles. So, you know what I'm saying? Like I was always around them. So I was always exposed to some type of um, something, you know what I'm saying? Some type of older generation, generational thing compared to everybody around me, right? So, like, when I would get babies, when somebody would babysit me, they would always be in, you know what I'm saying, from the the 60s and the 70s era, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. so they would have record players. Like, I remember seeing the the original cover of Honey for the vinyl, you know what I'm saying, of the Ohio players, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I would see all of these different things, like, or when, you know what I'm saying, like, Westerns would come on, they would be just sitting at the house watching westerns, or when you know what I'm saying, like I said, like when the black exploitation film would come on, they would be watching that. You ain't got no choice but to watch it because hell, it's only two or three TVs in the house. 
You know what I'm saying? So, and then you're young, so you ain't really had no choice. So growing up, it was just kind of that thing where I was used to it. it to me, it wasn't anything outside the box because I had seen this shit so much because that's who I was around. And then you turn around and then, like, as you get older, where you get to, like, those, you know what I'm saying, preteen ages, you able to go to, you know what I'm saying, like, Blockbuster and shit and rent a film. You know, you got a cousin that's fucking 14, 15 years old, and he acted like he's 16. So, you know what I'm saying, get a film shit. We was getting the Mac. We was getting... You know what I'm saying? Superfly. We was getting coffee. We was getting black mama, white mama. You know what I'm saying? We was getting uh, you know, um shit, the black Gestapo and all these movies. And to me, it it just looked like a movie. I didn't understand the significance of it. It was just a good movie to me until I got older and then, you know what I'm saying, like I started realizing, like, wait a minute, like, yo, this is some this is some shit that wasn't even supposed to be made. And the more and more I started realizing that they were black exploitation films and learning about them, that's when I actually understood like the importance of them and what they were. And so, you know what I'm saying? That's pretty much how it was growing up for me at least. Yeah, it was different for me because like my dad really never had like he my dad was never like a huge like VHS person. You know what I'm right. saying? Like right. he was just more of like, and then like, you know, we would always go through our time. You know, sometimes we had cable, sometimes we didn't. So there was just a lot of just regular network TV on. That's why like my dad used to watch a lot of shit like, you know what I'm saying? Cheers and MASH and Gilligan's Island and, you know what I'm saying? Heat of the Night, Murder, She Wrote and all that type shit because it was just shit that came on regular TV because he just didn't really like buy like a lot of VHS and then it gets yeah. to the point of DVDs. Like he just didn't buy a lot of that shit. So I wasn't really exposed to it like that. Um, this was something that I picked up, not even that much. Like there's only a few of those films that I actually seen. But mm -hmm. one thing that they brought about um, a point that you had made when they were just like, when they showed Saturday Night Fever and they showed um, the shaft, like back to back side by side, just showing you like how, they stole some shit like from the era or whatever, whatnot, to put John Travolta on this this thing. And it, basically, what they were saying in this film with John Travolta was that in black, basically. Yeah, 100%. Well, I mean, to this, like, even if you go back and watch Be Cool, you could see that same thing. Like, I don't think it was John Travolta technically acting black, though. I think he just had an appreciation for the culture that others didn't really have because he was like super into it. Yeah, yeah. And um, but like another thing that they took, which ended up like we still see that this happens today, is you had these very, very great singers, songwriters, producers and shit like that. And they showed where. You know, one of the people that they brought up and which was a great album was a Superfly album, you know, what I'm saying for the Superfly movie and what Curtis Mayfield did, which, um, <clears throat> you know, they put out the album for the movie to get more buzz for the movie. And now yeah. we see that that's what everybody started doing because they started looking at, because these composers that they had back then, I mean, this is crazy. You know what I'm saying? You had Curtis Mayfield who did like 10 albums just for uh, sound. Yeah. They were just soundtracks. You had Quincy Jones. He done, he done some movies. You had um, Marvin Gaye. He did Trouble Man. Uh, him, Barry Gordy. You had, um, uh, what's my dude's name? Um, Man, who fucked up my dude Sam Cook? Went to his wife's funeral with his uh went to Sam Cook's funeral. Oh, what's my dude's name? 
I cannot believe I'm forgetting his name. He did it ac- across the hundred. Uh, Bobby Womack. Was, yeah, Womack. Bobby Womack. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you had all of these great musicians who was, you know what I'm saying, doing these albums, you know, for mm-hmm. this. And then, you know, a guy like Melvin Van Peebles, who, we, you know, we spoke about before when we did a, a appreciation on him. But, like, you know, when he did, uh, you know, Sweet Baby um, uh, Badass, like, mm-hmm. he did... The, he did the he he directed wrote the movie and he fucking did the soundtrack like he did yep. everything his fucking self and he did the same thing by putting out the Sweetback album first and then putting out the movie and like mm-hmm. he went on this whole thing where you know what I'm saying where they made like his movie X rated or whatever but he made sure he put you know by a white jury or whatever whatnot and so like with the with getting the X tag like the movie couldn't be played like everywhere so right. like giving us this information of like all all of the shit that they had to go through when you know what I'm saying like when he did Wa- watermelon man where he flipped that shit you know what I'm saying because you had white people doing blackface but you never had a black person doing whiteface you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. well dude was black well just woke up one morning and then well he yeah well he was white but he woke up and he was black mm-hmm. and so you know what I'm saying they showed the scene where he was sitting in the tub of of milk thinking he could turn this up at white again. Like that's 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 a wild ass concept. But Melvin Van Peebles, he pushed the, you know what I'm saying, he pushed the line. And mm-hmm. it was great to see that, you know what I'm saying, that his offspring was able to do the same as well, you know, with um with um Mario Van Peebles, you know, what he was able to do, you know what I'm saying? He even went into the um the western lane with Posse. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he tried to you know, recreate some of the shit as well. But I'm going to tell you who they did not bring up in this. But to me, and I want to ask your opinion is this, I think that this was a quote-unquote black exploitation film, but it was just done in the 90s. I think what Kenan Ivan Wayans did with I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker, I think that was a homage film to black exploitation films. He even brought back, like, all of those people who were in that era, you know what I'm saying? Because Fred Williamson was in that movie. Jim Brown Jim was Brown. in that movie. Oh. Um, uh, we, we just brought up him earlier. Uh, you couldn't think of his Antonio name. Antonio Fargus. Um, and Fargus, yeah, yeah. He had, uh, you know what I'm saying? He walked with the, with the high heels, with the sh- with the fish in the bottom of the shoes. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he his role as Huggy Bear. Exactly. So do you think that's what Kenan was doing with that movie, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker? Because it had all of the makings of what those movies were. No, absolutely. That was that was his whole intention behind it. Um, it was it was basically his homage to Robert Townsend and Uptown Saturday Night as well. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, that's what I'm saying. Like, people really don't understand like the importance and the significance of the black exploitation era. When you when you have these movies that pretty much were when they first started being made, they weren't being seen except for in certain places. And then about, I guess you give it maybe four or five years later, they own grand marquees around some of the biggest, you know what I'm saying? Movie theaters in some of the biggest cities in the country. Not only that, um, you, you give these, you, you give these people, these platforms and these ideas, these fresh ideas at that, to make these movies to where people didn't think 
because of racism and because of, you know what I'm saying, stupid shit like that, people didn't think that people would want to see this shit, right? So who would have fucking thought in 1960-something that people would want to watch a fucking movie about a fucking black pimp and him trying to get out of the fucking pimp game? Nobody would have fucking wanted to see that. At least that's what you would have thought if you was in Hollywood as a white person because you'd have been like, yeah, nobody gave a fuck about this shit until, you know what I'm saying, fucking 10 years later you see the mac and you like oh shit like this shit really works or until you see superfly you like oh shit like people really like this shit and then next thing you know it's making all these movies and i think that you know what i'm saying this is um this is more so just a a a foreshadowing of what's what's been going on with like hip-hop as well right because remember when hip hop first got started, everybody said that it wouldn't last. It's a stupid ass music genre. It really ain't music. And they made up a whole bunch of different shit to say about it until you look at it now. Every fucking white kid is trying to fucking rap. You know what I'm saying? Every fucking white kid wants to be Jack Harlow or wants to be fucking Machine Gun Kelly or Eminem or fucking, you know what I'm saying, Ludacris or, or fucking Nas or one of them. And you know what I'm saying? The truth of the matter is that the shit just ain't for everybody. Now you look at it and it's like everybody's trying to fucking do it to where, you know what I'm saying? You look at it 20 years ago and it was like, man, ain't nobody doing this shit. You know what I'm saying? Like now you got motherfuckers that got three or four bodies out here getting on somebody's studio and rapping about how they got three or four bodies. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, but I th- go ahead. No, I because I, I want to piggyback out that point that you make it because they showed in this um, in this documentary where you know th- there were black people who was upset with Superfly, and mm-hmm. they actually spoke to Ron O'Neill like, "Yo, how do you feel about the part? Do you think it's a bad reflection of like the, you know what I'm saying of black people?" And he was like, "If I thought that, I wouldn't have done the film." Right. And and they showed like this black dude like standing in Congress saying that we need to keep this filth out of here and all this type of stuff. Like he was like shitting on the film. And I think mm-hmm. that what they were trying to show with Superfly, it just this this was just an early reflection of, you know what I'm saying? Like what like you just brought up the point of hip hop. Like when when NWA had to go fight with Congress and shit like that, they're like, yo, like we're not doing like this, like we're showing you a piece of our reality of when we look out of our doors. Like this is what we're going through every day. Like a movie like Superfly. It was the same thing, but it was just in a movie sense. It was just more right. of like, yo, I'm in this game. I want to get out. So I'm going to, you know, take the path of what I need to do. I need to get a big lump sum of money so I can just go and just chill. And mm-hmm. it's just like, that's like what the movie is. And to certain people, like they looked at it as like, yo, they're showing black people in a negative light. But he's just like, yo, like we're showing you our realities of what's going on and we're just trying to overcome that like we just like we wasn't given certain opportunities and i thought that that was the thing that i was able to see out of superfall like uncle washington would would quote out of that movie he was like how do we play um oh my god how he used to say it how do we win a game that's already rigged Mm -hmm. and like he was saying that that's what the dude was telling um was telling priests, he was like, yo, like, this is all yeah. we know how to do. So, yeah, like, yeah, everybody didn't see it that way, which I'm glad that he showed that in there. But I think that these movies were just like, you know, and even like the stuff like the Mac, like, 
like they didn't recreate the wheel. I mean, you know what I'm saying? People been pimping since. I mean, God, man, even when you watch movies and hear about the, the days of uh, what's my dude name? Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. Jack the Ripper was in the fucking what? 1700s or some shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And they, yeah, they had they had pimps. So it ain't mm-hmm. any. It's not something that fucking you know what I'm saying. People created in the 70s. This shit been going on before the hands of time. So, so yeah, like yeah, I, I just thought that I thought that that was cool, and I thought that was a good point that you was making there. Yeah, you want to get out of the life, hmm? thinking you're gonna set the corporate world on its ear. You ain't got the stomach for that. What the fuck you gonna do besides pimp, besides hustle? This all you ever known, baby. Hey, man, this, that's my shit. <laughs> yeah, that's my shit, bro. Shout out to uh, Superfly, man. Shout out to Priest and, you know what I'm saying, Eddie the Cocaine Man. Um, Yeah, but it, to me, that's an interesting thing, man, because the one thing and the, the major theme around all of these um, black exploitation films, the majority of them, for the for the most part, was always something positive, right? So it wasn't never like mm-hmm. negative connotations, and I think that was the thing that, at the end of the day, that these guys kind of fucked up on when they would say like, "Oh, this is filth," and you know what I'm saying this is this is horrible because you really you could either tell like either they didn't watch this shit or they just totally miss. You know what I'm saying? It, the the whole the whole concept of this artistic piece went over their head. Um is that I think it's you, that Yeah, when you watch I, I think it went Superfly, over their head. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. You know what I'm saying? Like when you watch Superfly, when you watch um the Mac, it's not more so about a fucking pimp that's trying to, you know what I'm saying, sell cocaine or get more women. It's more so the fact that these niggas are trying to get out of the game and live a legal straight life. That's the whole point of what, what the, the shit that these motherfuckers is doing in these movies. When you watch fucking Coffee, Coffee is about a, a, a chick that's getting revenge for her brother's death because she knows that the cops ain't doing shit and they corrupt and they in on it. You know what I'm saying? When you look at fucking Black Mama, White Mama, it's about a, a lady who is getting revenge, you know what I'm saying, for her family. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of these movies was... Uh, shit, when you watch Black Gestapo, Black Gestapo is pretty much, nigga, the, if the Black Panther Party was to go super extreme and take over the neighborhood and create their own, you know what I'm saying, create their own city within the city. Um... That's really just all of the, all the. I mean, Shaft. If you watch Shaft, Shaft is about this cool ass cop who is doing right by his community. He ain't doing nothing crazy. He ain't uh, uh, extorting motherfuckers. He not out here killing niggas willy nilly. No, you did something wrong. Shaft is on your ass. You know what I'm saying? If if you out here and you done fucking robbed Mrs. Evans' store and you know you ain't supposed to rob Miss Evans' store, nine times out of ten, Shaft gonna come see you, bro. You already know what it is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I like the point. I like the point of what they did with Shaft when they were saying when the way they introduced him, like walking through the city when they did the comparisons of Friday, what well, Saturday Night Fever. But like they were saying that what Shaft was able to do was you have this detective who dressed the way he dressed. So I think that 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could be a cop, you could be a detective, but you don't have to look like your counterparts, which, you know, mostly was white because, you know, most detectives during those times were white men. Mm-hmm. And what Shaft was able to show, you know, people who went into law enforcement, yo, I can wear a long, you know what I'm saying, a leather trench coat and, you know what I'm saying, like, I, I don't have to do the regular suit and tie and look like everybody else. Like, I think that Shaft gave people that empowerment of like, yo, I can still do, I can do this job and quote unquote look black or dress black. You know what I'm saying? Like I can, mm-hmm. I can, like, I can wear the gear that I like and still be like a good detective. Like I thought that that was a cool concept of Shaft of like giving yourself that freedom to, I don't have to necessarily fit into the system. I thought that that was something that was really cool about Shaft, and I'm glad that they brought that point up. And, like, the way that they single him out during that introduction of the film, because they also talked about black people being sex symbols. And, mm-hmm. you know, they used, they used uh, Robert Roundtree, um, Roundtree Richard, you know, Roundtree. they was like, Richard, um, Richard, my bad. Roundtree in that um, also a guy like Billy D. Williams, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. he was another guy where, you know what I'm saying? And, and also Ron O'Neill, like those were mm-hmm. like the three guys who were like, oh, well, women went crazy over these dudes. Like usually black people wasn't looked as quote unquote sex symbols. So those were like the three guys that they kind of like really, really did it with, which was cool that they um that they spoke of that so like there was a lot of like little nuggets in here you know where they use different examples like even the whole thing of like the very first person to play Othello it was a fucking white man in blackface like that's crazy yeah you know yeah. And, just like um, how they showed Mickey Mickey Rooney and fucking uh whatever that movie is when he playing the the fucking Asian man and Mickey Rooney is an yeah. Italian white man. Oh, speaking of that, let me ask you how you felt about this. So, Robert Downey Sr., you know, he did a film. Like, that was the thing about black exploitation films because, like, it was kind of in the middle where it was like you had all of these black talents doing all of these great things, but, like, Mm -hmm. most of those films were directed and mostly written by white people. And so, Robert Downey Sr. did this one film and he didn't like the way one dude did uh, I don't know if he if, if it was just the speech or or whatever, but he ended up dubbing and using his own voice. But mm-hmm. then they show Robert Downey Jr. You know when he did Tropic Thunder, yeah. in which he ended up getting the you know Academy for. It. Now you know I think we, we've spoken about this before. Like when it comes to Robert Downey Jr. and and that to me. That shit was fucking hilarious. Hilarious. Like I thought, I think Robert Downey Jr. did a phenomenal. I don't think that it was no no shot because I think that was the whole point of it. Like they, it wasn't that the whole movie he was playing black. Like they show him as a white person, and they were saying he's going to be in this film playing a black guy. Like that was the whole point of it. It was to be funny, but for Robert Downey Sr. to to see the talent in these people semi like how did you feel about the, the fact that he ended up like dubbing the one thing where he was using his own voice over that one guy in that one film that he had did 
Do you think that was fucked I mean, up? Or ultimately, no. You know what I'm saying? Ultimately, it's his goddamn movie. If he feels like dubbing over that shit, then he dubs over that shit. I mean, he's the fucking director and the producer and the creator of the movie. Um but I mean that's what happens when you have other people into some shit that ain't they not supposed to be in. That's the type of shit that you get. Um but even as far as like moving down how we talked about, you know what I'm saying, Robert Downey Jr. doing that role. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people looked at that shit later on down the line and was like, yo, this was some bullshit. When it first happened, we laughed at it. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't it wasn't Robert Downey Jr. playing the fucking doofus. It wasn't Robert Downey Jr. playing this motherfucker who um was a fucking crackhead or you know what I'm saying. He wasn't playing nothing crazy. He was just playing a, a dude that's playing a dude that's playing a dude. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Hey. I'm a dude that's playing a dude who's playing a dude. Uh, nah, but you oh, you bring man. up a great point how they show him because he's actually playing the Australian person. This motherfucker ain't even, <laughs> he ain't even American to begin with. So let's go there. The fact that they got Robert Downey Jr. playing this dude, this Australian actor, who then is was playing the what he uh he the 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 most the most egregious point of the shit ain't got nothing to do with Robert Downey Jr. first and foremost. It's really Ben Stiller. So <laughs> they got <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. who ends up playing the black dude in the movie, who also has another black dude in the movie. And the funniest shit is he does he's he's a method actor. So he's trying he's staying in character, which is the funniest shit that that's what makes the movie so fucking funny. Because he's such a method actor that he really is trying to be the blackest person that he could be in this film. <laughs> <laughs> even or even off screen. So when he talking about making up some crawfish and nothing, he was like, "Yeah, that's how we talk." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Shout out to Brian T. Jackson. That's how we talk, huh? We just gonna scrub some scrub some crawfish, huh? Make some cornbread and shit. And so he, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just them talking. That shit was already funny. But the fact that Robert Downey Jr. You know, so like I said, he didn't do nothing crazy. It wasn't nothing. You know, what I'm saying it wasn't nothing wild. He was just basically being the black dude who was like this dude from black exploitation films, and he that's what he was using. But it was in the Vietnam. It was supposed to be a Vietnam movie, so it wasn't like he was out of place with the with the role. You know what I'm saying? Like everything <laughs> fit, which to me. I never. That's why I never got mad at it because I understood what was going on. Like to me, this shit was funny as fuck because it was like he's playing this dude that's supposed to be in Vietnam. This is how these niggas talk during Vietnam. Like this is exactly yeah. what was going on. So it wasn't like he was just out the way. But the fact that the role before Ben Stiller played that role was this nigga was playing a mentally challenged person, <laughs> and nobody <laughs> that. nobody even brought that shit up. Yeah, but they definitely came, they definitely got on, you know what I'm saying, Robert Downey Jr.'s head about the shit. And don't get me wrong, like I said, there's movies that where I've seen, you know what I'm saying, some shit where motherfucker be in blackface, and I'm looking like, oh yeah, this is some bullshit. But the fact that in it, like, okay, even if you go back to Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, when Gene Wilder was in the movie and he did some blackface shit, in the comedic styling of it, when you watch it, 
it's funny because you you don't see Gene Wilder, you know what I'm saying, like eating a big ass watermelon and you know what I'm saying, falling asleep. He ain't he's not contributing to any stereotypes. What he's trying to do in that instance was he was trying to fit in. But you also have to remember, you got one of the pro blackest motherfuckers there with you and Richard Pryor doing that shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so when you when you see that type of shit where you realize like sometimes it's not always about trying to be offensive. What they're trying to do in the moment is they're really trying to do something cool. When you look at minstrel shows, minstrel shows were meant to be offensive. They were pushing a narrative. They were pushing a stereotype. I feel like these two instances that, you know what I'm saying, that I brought or that we that we're talking about and that I brought up between Gene Wilder and Robert Downey Jr. I don't find any offense in those once again because it's not pushing any specific narrative. It's the movie is about uh, the Vietnam War and these dudes are in the Vietnam War. First and foremost, the fact that they got two niggas in the all white group in the Vietnam War is already a fucking that's something to be looking at right there because usually that shit didn't happen. You know what I'm saying? Like and then on top of that, you got this dude who. If you put it like this, if you've never seen Robert Downey Jr. and you've seen him in that movie, you'll be like, is that really a black man? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the fucking makeup was decent. Like, they did a great job on the makeup as far as the hair and, and the hair. Even the way he was yeah. acting. Yeah, like, even the way he was acting, you knew that he was going above and beyond. But at the same time, you was kind of convinced, like, I don't know, bro. Like that motherfucker could be uh he could be a light skinned dude doing this shit, bro. Hey, I wouldn't be that? shocked if it was a light skinned nigga doing this. That must say you people say, Hey, what do you mean? You people man, what do you mean? What do you mean, you people? I'm about to say, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what hey man, listen, bro. It's it's some battles, man. It's, I feel like in some battles you gotta fight to win, and in some battles, bro, you gotta let that shit go because it ain't worth it. And I feel like when we talking about, you know, what I'm saying in this case of Robert Downey Jr., it's not worth it. Um, I feel like it's, it's he not, was more, but I, it, I, it, to me, he was more racist. And um, what was the movie with him and Zach Galifianakis and Jamie Foxx? The the movie uh, where, uh, he was trying to get across, uh, due the, date. across the cut. Yeah, he was more racist in due date than he was in Tropic Thunder. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He was so worried about his best friend boning his girl and his daughter and his and his kid being black. Like to me, that was more racist than whatever the fuck Tropic Thunder had going on. Yeah, but I think that I'm pretty sure he idolized. Well, obviously, he idolized his dad. I think because of what his dad Absolutely. was into and some of the films that he done, I, I'm pretty Absolutely. sure he watched. A, a pretty good bit of uh, black exploitation films from back in the day. I'm sure he was so I don't upset think, for a lot of that shit. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I don't think, you know, expect, I think that sometimes uh, a history can, you know what I'm saying, make, make light of shit. So I never, I never, mm-hmm. first of all, when I first seen Tropic Thunder, I never thought of it in that sense. But I think that you he know. was really like more of playing homage and like knowing what's funny and know what lines to cross and all that type shit. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like these films, man. It was, I mean, the things that they brought up as far as, I mean, look, we didn't even cover most of the shit. Like, you know, what I'm saying the Harry uh, Belafonte shit, where you know he took like nine years off, where mm-hmm. he was just like fuck that shit. Like he was like the they compared him to Muhammad Ali of his time of like, 
not taking certain films because he was like, yo, I don't think it's worth my time and I don't like the image that they have me playing. So he took the problem of his mm-hmm. career and just fucking said, fuck that shit, I'm not doing anything. And not you know, mention, for he, he was helping to fund the civil rights movement in the midst of all that. Yeah, in the midst of all that. Like he's one of the names that was left out. You know what I'm saying? Like when like he had a lot to do with the, you know, the famous picture of Bill Russell, um, mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali, Jim mm-hmm. Brown, Kareem and um uh, Raheem, um, not Raheem, uh, Rashad, uh, what's his name? Amar Rashad. Yeah, like Harry um, Belafonte was there too. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like he he took a lot of his career off, and then like the whole thing of like, I remember me and Uncle Washington used to talk about this when it comes to uh Sidney Poitier. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people looked at Sidney Poitier as a uh, Uncle Tom. It was like he was doing yeah. like these films where, you know, black people was shown in a certain light. And the reason Uncle Washington never looked at it that way because he was just like, yo, like, are y'all going to pay, like, all y'all people that was calling me uh, Uncle Tom, are y'all going to pay my bills? Are y'all going to give me the same amount of money that I'm getting paid to not do these movies? And he was like, if you're not, then shut the fuck up. And so he was just like, People will sit there and call you names because there's nothing wrong with standing on your principle, right? That's that's mm-hmm. all cool if that's what you want to do. But what Sidney Poitier was able to do was he was really like that from what I could see that first person to cross over. You know what I'm saying? And I think that people called him Uncle Tom because he crossed over. But then he also flipped his career you know what I'm saying? When him and Harry uh, Balafonte got together and did that uh, that Western film together, which Balafonte was pissed off because he was just like, well, we know that Westerns, like there is a market in black homes for Westerns and nobody supported the film. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, you know, for him, I think it hurt him the most because he's like, first of all, Look what I was doing all the time that I took off. Look at the sacrifices that I made for our people. And then we make a film for our people. And y'all don't support it when we know y'all went and y'all watched all the John Wayne movies. Y'all mm-hmm. watched all of the Clint Eastwood movies. You know what I'm saying? When it comes to Westerns. But y'all didn't watch the movie that we put together. So he the, lead was, you know, for, the lead actor for Blazing Saddles. You know what I'm saying? Like he did Blazing Saddles and that was it. He never did another Western or another film a day in his life. Meanwhile, Gene Wilder, that motherfucker was making movies like crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the film that I... The first film I ever seen him in was fucking him with Willy Walker. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, so... But yeah, like, for for, for real, man. Like, it's, it's, it's definitely... I, I think there's different ways to look at, you know, a guy like... um Damn, why is his name still my Sydney Poitier? Like I, yeah. I think that what what Sydney was doing was, you know, he was he was really like that first guy to really be. He was that first blockbuster guy. Like he, he like he was like the Will Smith before Will Smith. Like Will Smith had that run where mm-hmm. every movie he did, like he owned the box office, and like Sydney mm-hmm. Poitier was that first black person to really own the box office. And he got called to Uncle Tom for it because of some of the some of the films that he done, you know, when it came to, you know, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and, you know, and, and, and all of those type of films in that regard. But like, you know, but this dude had 
you know, the heat of the night. You know what I'm saying? Like I mentioned that earlier. Like my dad used to love the heat of the night. You right. know what I mean? So that was my first introduction into Sydney Portier was the, um, the heat of the night. <laughs> when that hell was here, like they called me Mr. Tibbs. <laughs> I don't remember, man. I ain't even gonna lie. This is funny when you said that. Hold on, oh. bro. I'm about to look this shit up, bro, because I believe he was Mr. Tibbs in the movie, but I don't know what that shit is from, but I remember hearing that shit, bro. Yeah, I, I it was just funny to hear you say it, but um, but like, yeah, like the, the the way that he was looked upon, man, it was it was really it's it's that's tough, man. It's really tough having that line. Yeah, like that there's all <laughs> that was him. <laughs> oh, yeah, the movie is actually called They Call Me Mr. Tibbs. That's funny. I that's ain't seen that. Hilarious, I ain't seen that. They but, call yeah, me I, Mr. Tibbs. That's funny, bro. I kind of, you know what? I see a, compa- a comparison to Sidney Poitier and Martin Luther King. You know what I'm saying? Like they was, mm-hmm. they was so controversial because of the way that they did certain things. Like some people, you know, you hear Martin was, you know, he took too much shit. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, they called him all mm-hmm. the time for being nonviolent and all that type shit. But there was a genius in what he was doing to get his point across. And I think it was also the same way with Sidney Poitier. Like, I don't think that maybe not as fast. I think a Denzel still would have been like a Denzel, but yeah, I think that without Sidney Poitier, things wouldn't be what they are. Like, I, I think that he, he took the route of, doing the things that he done, you know what I'm saying, getting nominated. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was the first male to win um, an Oscar, a black male to win an Oscar, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. So he opened up the floodgates for us, but, you know, people looked at it because, hell, uh, the movie, yeah, as, as a matter of fact, the movie that he won for, Harry Belafonte was up for that film, and he said that, there was one scene that he was upset about. He was like, what would a black man be doing sitting at a table with Nazi nuns? He was like, that don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So he was like, I turned the film down and then turn around sitting in the point and win a fucking Oscar for it. So mm-hmm. now not saying that Harry wouldn't have, or maybe that's what he was saying. Like, you know, I think he felt, yo, my talent is just as good as his. So if he got an Oscar for that, I guess he figured he would have got one too. But yeah, he just took the stance of like, I'm not doing something that don't make sense. Like I would never be in that situation. So, you know, he turned the film down, but I wanted to make sure before we got out of here, like we had to speak about Sidney Poitier and his appointment to Hollywood. And I'm pretty sure he didn't like those tags because I think that Sidney Poitier never was a guy that was trying to be white or, you know what I'm saying? Whatever the case may be, like he broke down barriers and with him Definitely breaking down. He... You got it. No, I was gonna say no, I was gonna say definitely he, he definitely wasn't trying to be white. Um I was gonna let you finish, but I had something to bring up as well about that too. But yeah, he definitely wasn't trying to be white at all. 
Yeah, yeah. And and it, it just, you know, that's just one of those things, man, like being black, like it's 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 tough. Like it, it is because because when when you become successful and like for some black people you, you have to do it a certain way. And if like if you don't do it the way that they would have done it or the way they view it, they criticize you for it and they call you names for it, but then mm-hmm. it's like we don't see some people don't see the end picture. And I think the right. importance of him playing in a lot of these heavily cast white films was like he was that that black guy in the room to you know what I mean? Uh, I remember mm-hmm. uh oh man when um I can't remember which it was a documentary that I watched where this other guy could have got casted for this this one film that he really, really wanted it, but it ended up going to Sydney Portier and he was just like Sydney Portier wasn't black enough for it. <laughs> you know, no, no point intended. So Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, so yeah, definitely gotta single that man out. But what was that point you was trying to make? Um, I just think it's funny how like they people say things like that, like Sydney Portier is not black enough for it or you know what I'm saying? He he's not black or blah 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 or you know what I'm saying? He's Uncle Tom. But he was playing in films, he was playing in the black and white films that were where he was basically a more in the films, where he was actually on the right side of history in a lot of these films, where you know what I'm saying, usually they use a dude in blackface, and they did use a dude in blackface in one of them, and he was still in it, but you know what I'm saying, he was the fucking um where Sidney Poitier was the man. He basically was showing people a lot of our history that they just weren't ready to see yet. So I think that we don't give them enough credit. I mean, we don't give him enough credit for the stuff that he's done. But I also think that if you go down in history and you look at the stuff that he's done, you'll also see that Sidney Poitier is um, very, very important and not only is he super important, he he has created a way for a lot of people in black Hollywood and a lot of people in Hollywood for that matter. Um and we I think we just need to start definitely giving him his flowers, bro. Yes, sir. And definitely not mad at that at all. <clears throat> so <clears throat> that's all we got, man. Um well, coming fire soon. Flames. Oh, fire yeah, flames. damn, my bad. Gotta do the fire flames. Yoga, fire. Yoga, flame. All right, man, what do you got for this um, uh, doc? So, first and foremost, shout out to uh, Elvis Mitchell for coming up with this, this whole concept. Um, when when you look at when you actually see this, the footage that they was able to put up, the names, everything, man, they really they really got into a lot. The actors they was able to have Whoopi Goldberg talking on here, Lawrence Frenchburn talking on here, Sam Jackson talking on here, um, you know Mario Van Peebles, Billy D Williams, like they got Zendaya, you know what I'm saying, was speaking about you know how much she idolized, you know what I'm saying, a guy like a guy. A woman like Diana uh, Ross, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for everything that was given in here, man, I mean, I have to give it a five. 
Um, he did a great job tying everything together the way that he tied it together. You know what I'm saying? Even even the breaking points of, you know, the importance of something like Cooley High and all of that stuff, man. He 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 you know the the, the thing about the, the lady that was on welfare, like he 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 really put together a really, really good documentary, man. So for the information and everything that was given in this, how they was tied how they tied it together, man, I gotta give it a five rating, man. That's what's up, man. Um I'm gonna go ahead and give it a five as well because I think that um Elvis Mitchell did a great job on not only giving us the um the history of black Hollywood and you know what I'm saying, the, the menstrual shows and you know what I'm saying, us being forced to take on these negative stereotypical roles, but then also showing you as time goes on how we basically turned that around and we saved Hollywood. You know what I'm saying? How we created our own films and how we gave something new um to the genre of Hollywood, you know what I'm saying, of movies, you know what I'm saying, giving them you know, still shots, helping them with transitions, you know what I'm saying, adding soundtracks into the to the mix where, you know, um, certain music and stuff was being used. Um, you know what I'm saying, the montages, the, you know what I'm saying, even if you look at guys like later on down the line, like Spike Lee, when Spike Lee does the one shot where it's like they on the, you know what I'm saying, they, they moving slow, but everything around them is moving fast, like, that's a historic thing that, you know what I'm saying, we bring to the, you know what I'm saying, to the table that we've always done. We've always, you know what I'm saying, been innovative. We've always been creative. And, you know what I'm saying, now you look at movies and you see them with certain things. You, now you can look at those movies and say, you know, that's because of us. You know what I'm saying? We gave Hollywood that. And, you know what I'm saying? Nothing makes me more proud to find out, um, especially from this documentary, that that happened. So... Yeah, I got to give it a five, man. This was super educational. It was super fun to watch um, and very uh, very nostalgic for me. What's up, man? I'm mad at it. We're on the same page today. Absolutely, man. So let's get into the coming soon. Coming soon to own on video and DVD. So, oh, wait a minute. Um, as that, eh, I think you got knocked out real quick, but that's okay, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm definitely going to say coming up next. And, uh, that is a black classic. Um, Nihilate and Omar at, and a host of other black people. We are continuing, um, you know what I'm saying? To give you another great black movie. Uh, and that is loving basketball, man. Um, one of the most confusing black movies of all time, I must say. <laughs> very, very confusing black movie. Um, and I just, I just want to know, man, what what black woman is sitting in the house while her man uh, is outside playing basketball with his ex girlfriend for love? That's funny. I, I can already you see the lane. I already see it, man. 
this is not gonna go the way I thought it was gonna go. Not you know at all. Not at all. Because I got hella questions. I got hella questions. This movie oh, is not what, what black people think it is. I know it's a classic. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, I got to dissect this shit. Oh man. Oh man. Because there's a lot I of bullshit going on in this movie. I mean, look, it it is, but you know what I'm saying. But we we got to do it for the lovers too, man. For um, sure, man. For sure. You know this this movie, it is it is one of those classics, man. Um, you know this is another movie. You know what I'm saying? Well, Omar Epps got a scholarship this time. In I basketball. think this is the what is this the that's the Valentine's Day episode too, ain't it? Yeah, that's the Valentine's Day. Look episode. at that! Look at that! Look at that! We bring out black love on Valentine's Day, man. That's what we do. So, so yeah, man. So this is gonna be interesting. I'm like, dude. I'm telling you, this movie was like a. Uh, even though I was more, I always was more of a football guy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I played basketball because I would tell people basketball was my third sport. Like it, it mm-hmm. was football number one, track number two, basketball number mm-hmm. three. But I'm not gonna tell you in that. Like I didn't fantasize about like, yo, but it'd be so dope to be with a girl that could play ball. Like, man, we can go in the backyard and we could just fucking, you know what I mean, hoop it up. Hey man, you know it's saying, man, it's not what you think it is. It's man, definitely not this, what you think it is. I had a crush on a girl that I that I used to play basketball with all the time, and I I wouldn't let her. I would do my best. I'm sorry to not let her do shit. And sometimes she would like score on me. That's not a good feeling. <laughs> you in the in the midst of that game, you stop liking her. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. Oh uh, man, you silly as fuck, man. Now this gonna not. <laughs> I, I can already tell. Oh hell, this is gonna this is gonna be one of the episodes, y'all. So stay tuned yeah. in because this is gonna be one of the ones, man. So that's what's up. Yeah, though. It definitely is. It definitely is. Um. So with that being said, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for listening. It's always greatly appreciated. If you like this movie, you know what I'm saying. If you like this documentary, if you think, hey. I don't know, you know what I'm saying, if black exploitation films really did this. You know what I'm saying? And you want to just talk about it or 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 you don't know what a black exploitation film is or maybe you just want to be like, "Hey, I want to watch some, you know what I'm saying? Do you guys got any you can recommend?" Hit us up on the Instagram and the Twitter at @viewanonpod. You can also hit us up on Facebook VA Pod Watch Group um for the socials, you know what I'm saying? You can do that at any time. Um, and then you can hit me up on Twitter at Scoots Bronson. I got a link tree in my bio. Uh, you can find me everywhere else there. And y'all can find me at uh, s.foster8 on Instagram and on Twitter at 28 minutes or less pod. That is just on IG. Check out the podcast on all major platforms 28 minutes or less. Um, last episode is 115. I was um, lucky enough to get this guy I'm on here with now. To jump on the pod with me, man, we did 50-year anniversary of hip-hop, man. And yep. we had a phenomenal conversation on that shit, man. It ran long, so if y'all want to hear, we, we tried to break it down as, as best as we could. Cause like I say, it's 50 years of hip-hop. Can't cover everything, but we got a lot of good um, content in. Go check that out. It's on all major platforms. And uh, stay tuned. Um for the next episode of 28 Minutes or Less, be coming to you very, very soon. Yes, indeed, man. Thank you again for tuning in and listening and supporting us as always. It is greatly appreciated. Um, but like they say in Hollywood, man, until the next episode, that's a wrap. Cut.